0: Hello, I will be reading Romans 1523 through 30 read three Romans 1523 through 30. Oh, if you like to follow along on the screen or the Bible, then that would be fine. <laughs> and that's why it has taken me so long to finally get around to coming to you. But now that there is no more pioneering work to be done in these parts. And since I have looked forward to seeing you for many years, I'm planning my visit. I'm headed for Spain and expect to stop off on the way to enjoy a good visit with you and eventually have you send me off with God's blessing. First, though, I'm going to Jerusalem to deliver a relief offering to the followers of Jesus there. The Greeks, all the way from the Macedonians in the north to the Achaeans in the south, decided they want to take up a collection for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were happy to do this, but it was also their duty, seeing that they got in on all the spiritual gifts that flowed out of the Jerusalem community so generously. It is only right that they do what they can to relieve their poverty. As soon as I've done personally, handed over this fruit basket... I'm off to Spain with a stopover with you in Rome. My hope is that my visit with you is going to be one of Christ's most extravagant blessings. I have, one, my, I have one request, dear friends. Pray for me. Pray strenuously with me and for me. To God the Father, through the power of Master Jesus, through the love of the Spirit, that I will be delivered from the lion's den of unbelievers in Judah pray also that my relief offering to Jerusalem believers will be accepted in the spirit in which it is given then God willing I'll be on my way to you with light and eager heart looking forward to being refreshed by your company God's peace be with you all oh yes this is the word of the lord
1: a lot to get through Well, good morning, I'm going to get set up here, and I think I know what I'm doing, so let's find out here, Uh, have my slides on Apple TV, so I have made the leap into the future, sort of. Yeah, I know, I know, it's amazing. All right, so good morning to all of you. I am Julie Steele, and I am one of the pastors here at Evergreen, and I want to welcome you here to this nice, warm, sunny day. You know, we complain when it rains, and we complain when it's too cold, and we complain when it's too hot, and I think we need to just be content with what we have here. How many of you have made vacation plans this summer? Raise your hands. A bunch of you. Say some of the places that you have gone or you're going to be going. Just shout them out. Ooh, that's a long way. Camping, I heard. What else? Cabo. Who's going to Cabo? I'm coming, too. Okay, I've never been. Lots of places people have been going. Well, today we are going to be looking at Paul's itinerary that we just heard uh, from Miles about a trip that he had been looking forward to for a really long time. So what I want to do first, though, is talk about a road trip that my family took a little over 20 years ago. Any of you take road trips? Yep. Good, bad... All right, mostly good. All right, when I was a kid, we took road trips. They were not good. But the trips when my kids were young were much better because I kind of planned the itinerary and controlled things a little bit. So we, (laughs) I know, that's an issue. So our itinerary was we drove from here down to Idaho, spent the night in Idaho, drove on down to, uh, through Utah, visited with some family friends there, and then we uh, headed to the Grand Canyon. There we are at the Grand Canyon, which is breathtaking. It's one of those places that if you just see a picture of it, it looks kind of cool. But when you see it up close, you just realize how amazing God's creation is. So there we are at the Grand Canyon. Yes, we are all just a bit younger there. And we had Chip and Dale. Have you heard those Disney characters? and one of the kids wanted Dale to see the Grand Canyon, and this little guy came up and sniffed Dale's nose, and we thought that was a pretty funny opportunity for a picture. Well, then, of course, we moved on to the happiest place on Earth, and Barry had the highlight of his life getting his picture taken with Belle, his favorite Disney princess character, I will say. We had a really great time. Well, getting back to Paul's plans, when I first read these verses about two months ago, because that's when we look at you know the, the sermon schedule, I read through them, and I have to confess I wasn't very inspired by them. You see, I wanted some deep theological concepts that I could wrestle with and I could give a message to you on. I wanted something like what has been previously in Romans, which is just packed full of all kinds of meaty things like predestination, atonement theologies, faith versus works, salvation by grace alone, all of that. And as I read through these verses, all I saw was someone's basic itinerary. I thought, what am I going to do with this? Well, as Miles read for us this morning, Paul states that he is done with his work here, probably in Corinth. And at this time, he's going to travel to Jerusalem, on to Rome, a place, again, he'd been longing to go to. But his final destination was supposed to be Spain, which had not been evangelized yet. So I began praying, always a good choice, although I probably didn't do it soon enough, about what God was going to reveal to me and what he wanted me to share about these particular verses. So as I read these verses in different versions and thinking, three phrases popped out at me about a month ago, and that's kind of key. The three phrases, if you don't have your Bibles with you, in your bulletins, there is a uh, sheet that has our verses on them, and I'm going to encourage you to pull that out. So the three verses, if you look at the end of the first section of verses, you see the phrase, enjoy a good visit with you. Paul was looking forward to enjoying a good visit with these Roman Christians. The second set of verses, you look towards the end, and he's talking about one of Christ's more extravagant blessings, that this journey, that this visit would be filled with extravagant blessings. That sounds pretty amazing to me. And then lastly, he uses the phrase refreshed. So Paul expects to enjoy a good visit, have extravagant blessings, and be refreshed by his time in Rome with these Roman Christians. So here's what hit me. I started to realize... That what Paul had planned for, Paul's best laid plans, were not his actual experience. I'm going to be talking through really the book of Acts today as it relates to the actual things that happened to Paul that he's describing here. So he is looking towards the future, but what we read in the book of Acts are the details of the actual experience that he had. Has it ever happened to you? You have some great plans, whether it's for a trip, whether it's for your next year, whether it's for down the road, your future. You think you know where you're heading. Things don't exactly turn out the way you thought. Maybe that marriage wasn't what you had envisioned to begin with. Maybe that adorable little baby that you just wanted so badly actually screams all night and spits up on you and a lot of other things. Maybe the college you thought you were going to go to and you'd worked at for years, maybe you didn't get accepted to that. The plans you made didn't turn out the way you had thought. Well, Paul had been looking forward to visiting these Christians in Rome, and we're going to look at just what happened in these places that he had planned to go. He was going to enjoy a visit and get their blessing as he went on to Spain. So first he's traveling to Jerusalem to deliver some funds collected by the Gentile Christians in Greece. This was a long journey to hand deliver these funds. Now, Paul did have an inkling that there might be problems there, because earlier in Acts we see that he is warned by the Holy Spirit to expect some trouble, but he decides he's moving forward because this is what God has called him to do. So he goes to Jerusalem, and he even says here, it is only right that they do what they can to relieve their poverty, meaning the Greek Christians to relieve the poverty of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Now, why was there poverty? Well, it is noted that there was a famine at the time. But also, those Jewish Christians, they would have been disowned for following Jesus. So they would have been cut off from their families, which would result in poverty. So what happened when Paul brought this monetary gift, or fruit basket, as it says in the message, to Jerusalem? Was he welcomed there? Were they cheering for him? Well, at first, yes. The book of Acts tells us that the church leaders welcomed him warmly. However, rumors started spreading quickly through the city that Paul teaches Jews to abandon their faith, the law of Moses, that they had to abandon what they had been brought up with in order to be a Christ follower. And this was not true. So they said, look, Paul, if you openly identify with this group of very strict Jews, just by association, you hang out with them for the week, others are going to see that you really aren't doing that. So Paul says, Fine, I will do what I can to defuse the situation in Jerusalem. But before long, a group of conservative Jews who hate Paul, and many of them did, because remember, Paul was one of them. He was a Pharisee, he was strict to the law and in their minds he turned against them when he started following Jesus so because of his dealings with the gentiles they hated paul and they started to stir up a crowd there's a lot more to this crazy story and believe me if you read from 21 on the book of acts amazing crazy things happened to paul and it's worth reading well it took a very strange twist A riot erupts, a mob seizes him, drags him out of the temple, beats him up, and the Roman soldiers actually come to rescue him because they see what's going on. So Paul gets arrested and he uh, is out of the temple. I'm thinking at this point, Paul's going, I was just trying to be helpful here. I brought this offering all the way to Jerusalem. Why is this happening to me? Why are they doing this to me? Why are my plans not going according to what I had? Well, it says here, but on the night immediately following, meaning immediately following this arrest and all that happened, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness in Rome also. Hmm. That reminds me of how, when things look like they're falling apart, God shows up and gives us a word of encouragement. Whether it's through His Word, whether it's through each other, music, God shows up. What I think is really interesting is that God doesn't say, "Hey, Paul, the worst is over. It's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Now to Rome, so don't worry about it. I got gotcha. you." All he says or promises is that God's purpose for Paul is not going to be derailed. But that doesn't mean it's going to be pretty. Well, he gets arrested. He's a Roman prisoner. And for about two years, he is in prison there. Two years. Finally, Paul requests to have his case before Caesar in Rome, since he is a Roman citizen. And along with some other prisoners, he boards a boat bound for Rome, but not as he had planned. I don't know about you, but not much in my own life has gone according to the plan. And you know, I have really great plans. They're good for me, they're good for you, they're good for everybody I make plans for, I don't understand why God just doesn't take me up on it. I mean, I'm just trying to make it easier on him, giving him the plan so that he can go work on somebody else who isn't as good at making plans for their life. But that's not how it works, does it? Well, Paul takes this journey, and you can see from this map, it's a long journey. They head for Caesarea, they land in Sidon, They go on to uh, board another boat that is uh, sailing for Italy, but because of the wind, this ship is unable to sail directly to Rome. So the ship anchors in a city called Fairhavens. Now at this point, Paul warns that this journey is going to be too dangerous, but his advice is disregarded. He says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous pretty dramatic, and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to Paul, listened to the pilot and the owner of the ship. I can totally relate to that. I told you so, right? Something's coming up. You see something coming down the pike and nobody listens to you? Well, that was Paul. So it's not long before they do encounter this storm. The description of this event is in Acts 27, and storms, strong winds, and overcast skies, which hide the sun and the moon, we're told in Scripture, they lose control and they just drift aimlessly in the storm for two weeks. Two weeks of a storm. You'd be pretty darn sick by the end of that time and probably just want to die. I love this picture because it's pretty dramatic, and I think sometimes when we just read words on a page, we don't get the impact or how dramatic a situation is. When all of this was happening and panic was setting in, Paul has another encouraging word from the Lord, and here is what he says. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men? You ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail for Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet, now I urge you to keep up your courage. We keep hearing that word courage, don't we? For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, Paul says, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. All 276 people abandoned ship. They grabbed whatever parts of wreckage they could find and made their way to the island of Malta. Not one person was lost. And when you read the actual account of this, Paul does a lot of things himself to make sure that no one is lost. He takes control of that ship and they listen to him. I bet most of you have your own shipwreck stories. I've heard some of them, they're pretty amazing. You have a plan for your life, you think you know where you're going, and a storm comes up, and bam, shipwreck. You lose your job, maybe your marriage, you get some dreaded diagnosis, something happens and you feel like your life is shipwrecked. Well, you know the old saying, this is what Paul used to say, shipwrecks happen, that's life. Shipwrecks happen, and they're not fun. Remember that I told you at the beginning that I was having a hard time with this message? I was having a hard time with this message until about three weeks ago when we had a shipwreck in our lives. My story is, or our story is... Sorry, I will get through this. Back in late February, um, we got the dreaded diagnosis, and Barry was has cancer. So we took a deep breath, did our research, talked to different doctors, figured out how to handle it. How to handle it, right? So. We were going to Arizona to visit my father, who was in radiation for cancer, so we didn't want to say anything for a while. And life moved on. We had a treatment plan, and things were going along okay. And then uh, Barry finished his treatment, and things seemed to be going well. And then about three weeks ago, lots of different kinds of complications started to turn up from the treatment. And we were in and out of ER and hospital stays and six different doctors. And those of you who have dealt with this can totally relate. This is nothing new. It was new for us. We were trying to figure out as a couple and then as a family, how do we navigate this storm? How do we navigate this really shipwreck it felt like? What is this going to mean for our lives going forward, and all the plans that we have had. You know, God shows up all the time. And I can tell you that through this whole experience, which, yes, we have kept fairly private, but feel like at this point it's appropriate to go ahead and share because it is impacting our lives more. And uh, I think that's important for everybody to know. God has shown up through so many amazing ways, providing, going before us, providing a hospital close to us, doctors close to. I mean, all the things that you realize are so amazing to have in place that you didn't think about before. Funny things that we could laugh at and actually grow together as a couple through this. It's been an amazing experience. It's not over but we keep moving forward and trusting God to provide what is needed when it's needed and know that God's there in the shipwreck. He speaks to you. I think the worst thing is feeling abandoned, but it's so clear we're not abandoned. And Paul, it's so clear. Look at how he repeats, this is what God said to me in the middle of this. God came before me here. He wasn't alone. God was right with him in the shipwreck doesn't mean it's going to go away, but it means God's presence is with you always. So now Paul is in Rome under house arrest, and he's able to get visitors, and he is restricted though from what his original plans were for Rome. He made the best of a bad situation. So think about those phrases again, enjoy a good visit with you extravagant blessings, and being refreshed. These don't exactly describe Paul's reality of this original trip. I've been thinking about how Jesus' disciples must have felt when it looked like their plans came crashing down. They were with Jesus for three years, learning from him, loving him, having hope for the future because Jesus, the Messiah, was going to set them free politically, as a nation, in all ways. They had an idea of this glorious end that was going to come when Jesus would reign. They watched their Messiah be arrested, beaten, and hung on a cross to die. It looked like the plan was over. In actuality, what they were seeing and experiencing was the plan. Had Jesus not chosen to sacrifice himself for us and submit to the Father's plan, that he would stand in our place and take our punishment that we deserve, we would be eternally shipwrecked we would be eternally separated from God. Jeremiah 29, 11, most of you know this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Have you ever thought about why God would need to tell us that his plans are for our good, and to give us a future and a hope? I have. I think it's because God's plans are pretty scary. And I need to be reminded that his plans are not out to get me or punish me, but they really are for good and not calamity. Because his ultimate plan of salvation, sending his son Jesus was for our future and we can have hope. Do you think the disciples thought about this verse as they watched Jesus be arrested and crucified? I think they felt their future was over and there was no hope. Did Paul realize that God's plans for him were for good and not calamity as he was going through beatings and mobs and shipwrecks and prison? I don't know. I do know that Paul was in prison in Rome for about two years after this shipwreck. We don't know if he ever did get to Spain, but here's what we do know. Paul wrote the books of Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, and Philippians during his imprisonment to Rome. I would encourage you to read these letters thinking about our text today and what his plans were. You see, captivity can be very productive. Most of the most spiritually rich truths are found in these books. Listen to this from Ephesians. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves... And carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Don't you think he just had that physical image of being tossed about physically in that boat and realizing how we can spiritually be tossed about? It kind of gave him a new way of looking at things. And these verses in Philippians are so wonderful. I know now how to get along by humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul could say that with confidence as he was sitting in prison in Rome. You know, if Paul had not been there, we wouldn't have these letters. Sometimes our shipwrecks or our captivity, those experiences are the very things that bring life to others. Paul's did. We're reading these today. So what about that captivity experience? Thinking of Paul's imprisonment and captivity, what might be your captivity today? What might be holding you back from experiencing all that God has for you? Maybe it is a weak and frail body. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're captive to depression because of a shipwreck that you were in in your life or an addiction There's all kinds of things that can keep us captive. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We can make our plans, but it's God who will direct his steps, and it is God who will allow us to accomplish whatever it is he has for us to do. Nothing can change that. It might look different than we thought but that doesn't mean the purpose won't be fulfilled. I'm going to end with this quote. I stopped asking God, where are you in all of this? And I started asking God, will you reveal yourself to me? What's the difference here? The difference is when you ask God, when I ask God, where are you in all of this? I'm assuming he might not be there. That's a sense of abandonment that says that. And I have said it many times. But when you say, God, reveal yourself to me, you know he's there, but you're not seeing him. If we are in a state of wanting God to reveal himself to us, we will then be open to seeing all the ways he is carrying us through something. We can either be blind to that and choose not to see it, or we can see it and experience the extravagant blessings that come from Christ's presence in the middle of whatever we're going through. I don't know if you have been through a shipwreck experience. If you haven't, it's coming. Sorry, that's life. If you're in a prison captivity experience, you feel limited Ask God to reveal himself to you in the middle of it. He will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your faithfulness to us in all all ways. There is not one second of the day that you are not in our presence. I pray, God, that each of us would choose to see you reveal yourselves to us wherever we're at today today. And that we would see our experience as something that could give life to others. Thank you, God, for your truth, for these words from Paul that have lasted thousands of years that we get to be blessed by and refreshed by today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.